0: Welcome, everybody, back to Hammer Time. We are back in action, and, guys, the NBA season is full fucking swing. Now, I appreciate everybody who's stuck with the Hammer Time team post-football, and, guys, we are busting our asses to keep this as relevant and fun for you guys as I know you beautiful people deserve. I am back with my co-host and great friend, Jacob Velasquez, calling in jacob say hi to people
1: how you guys doing good to be back good to kill on uh i love the upgrade in the status though if that's yeah crucial. i mean
0: fuck you i mean we <laughs> you're you know you've you've stuck with it all through season one so you know you're basically here to, to grind this out however you know you're welcome anytime brother so um love to have you here and and kicking off on his first show first time making a presence here in the world of sports media is our new buddy here brenner hall he is a nba super nerd uh, coming in from oklahoma um, the guy knows his stuff i think you're gonna love what he has you're gonna love his takes um, definitely definitely far far superior than the average fan Kicking up popcorn and yelling at a fucking TV screen. So, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on the airwaves, Brenner Hall. Say say hi to everyone, man.
2: What up, everyone? How's it going? <sighs> All
3: right.
2: Yeah, clap, uh, clap, 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 clap,
3: clap, clap, clap. Good shit. Love nap, whatever. Love Let's get cracking and stir <laughs> up the controversy.
0: Absolutely, I love it. I love the enthusiasm. So, guys. We're here, we're about a third to about approaching the halfway point of the NBA season. There are a lot of things to digest here. There's some overlap from last year to this year in the sense that these teams are all facing in some way a nice shitty cup of adversity. Now, from a gambling standpoint, there are only a certain amount of things that we can actually digest besides the actual games on a day-to-day now of course high scoring you know transitioning from the bubble to a no crowd um format has points coming out the wazoo but vegas is obviously adjusted to that i think one of the things that i'd like to kind of jump into and talk about is where we are as far as the mvp race rookie of the year championship odds see if there's any value there that we can kind of jump on um so um I'd like to go ahead and just kick it and get, get the conversation rolling with the uh, with that, with the MVP conversation. So we've had enough data here now for people to start making, you know, comments in, in, in mainstream media about who we think is actually going to run away with this bitch. Now, if you're like Jalen Rose, you think James Harden is carrying a super team with the Nets and overall is doing enough to where he should be deserving of the trophy now of course lebron is always in the top five of MVP voting and probably deserves so um he's doing a good job of keeping the lakers um at the top of the west and you know keeping every other enemy at bay for the most part without anthony davis there half the time and um the front runner going into the season my boy luca and kind of slipped off the end of a little bit still playing his ass off but the lackluster efficiency of the team itself has kind of moved Luca a bit out of the everyday conversation. Kind of curious to see what you think, Brenner, about who you think is your front runner at this point. And we can look at the odds and kind of break down who we think there might be some real value in. Um, I don't know if there's anybody that you have at the top of
3: your mind, is there? Yeah, there is. I would say the race is definitely like more diverse, more open than I feel like it's been since I even started following the league. But uh, even with that being said, you definitely have to at least in my opinion, probably have LeBron at the as, at the front runner right now just because okay. I think while there's a lot of other candidates, I think they each probably have more questions and uncertainty around it than the other guys. I can see if I can pull up the odds right now for MVP and take a look at like who you think might have
0: value. Yeah, it looks like right now, as it stands, LeBron is the front runner at plus one ten. Um, and then there's actually a kind of a dramatic drop-off to Joel Embiid as the second front runner. Yeah, I've got it right um, now at plus three fifty. In fact, I'm not sure how up to date this is, but so I'm on
3: Vegas Insider right now, and it says uh-huh. uh, LeBron is plus 175. Uh, that top five right there on this site, and I'm about to list it off, is to me definitively the only, like, that's the list of viable candidates. So if we're going okay. down that top five, to me the MVP field right now, it's it's LeBron, Embiid, Jokic, uh, Curry, and then Luka. And I think... Yeah, probably, that's what I have too. Probably in that exact order in terms of viability too.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I have. As well. and it, um, for the listeners, it was Giannis who won it last year. Is that correct? Yeah, back to that. Yeah, back. He's back to back MVP. Okay, so he's won it twice in a row. But LeBron is still leading the field as of currently.
3: Yeah, the thing about winning the MVP three times in a row is that the literal only time it's ever been done in league history is when Larry Bird was apparently bad enough to do it in the 80s but uh, outside of that like pr- voter fatigue is like a real thing so like Giannis having even before the season started the fact that he'd won it the last two years was pretty much going to disqualify from winning it this year because people just don't want to do it unless they think that he's like as all-time great as Larry Bird basically that's the bar you have to meet
1: okay so, tell me about Joel, Joel Mb, because I've heard his name a lot. Like, he's just an unstoppable force. Like, what's transitioned this year for him with the 76ers? And, like, they're the top of the game in the East right now. Why is that? What's going on with them that's causing them to be this, like, fan favorite and be the second, uh, the number two race right now for the MVP?
3: Yeah. Uh, Chris, what's your opinion on that? Let's hear from you for-
0: well, see, I think it really just has to do with, well, see, in, in, in general, Embiid is just a really, uh, he's kind of like everything you would have wanted out of Kristaps Porzingis, for the most part. That big man sort of unicorn. Um, he, I mean, he definitely does a lot to carry the Sixers in a number of ways, just because you kind of need a, a, a an offensively versatile player, like a big man like Embiid and a team like the Sixers when you're point guard your all-star point guard can't shoot a fucking three-pointer to save his life right it's really honestly fascinating to watch um but ultimately what i'm more kind of curious about is just why there's just such a large gap between lebron and Embiid when it comes to the mvp odds i mean both these teams the Sixers and the, the, Sixers and the lakers are at the top of their confidence yeah both the Sixers and the Lakers are at the top of the conference and I mean I would have to say they're both making similar impacts on their teams right so Embiid is Embiid is doing a lot to kind of carry um, the Sixers in the light of Ben Simmons and LeBron is doing a lot to carry the Lakers in the light of the absence of Anthony Davis so I'm really not really sure why there's just such a gap there I feel like their impact is fairly similar, but overall, Embiid is just a—it's just an offensive weapon that you just really don't get on many teams anymore. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see what you think about what might make him beat so valuable, Brenner. But overall, I mean, shit, his paint—his paint presence is, is fucking is phenomenal. His ability to shoot is it's 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 dead superb compared to most big men his size. Now, granted, he may take a little bit more threes than I'm comfortable with, but, I mean, shit, believe it or not, it's kind of, it's crazy when, you know, a guy like Embiid is more efficient at making three-pointers than your point guard is, so.
3: Yeah, I think that definitely says more about Simmons than it does about him. Uh, for what it's, you know, to be fair, uh, sorry about the noise interference there, it just randomly oh, no, don't, don't worry dads. about stats. So, you mentioned him actually having really high value in the race, and I actually like I'm I'm not sure if this translates into value, but like he should, because like his MVP resume this year is actually kind of insane. The more that I'm looking at this right now, like I actually maybe think like he would be he would be my pick. Like he's not my favorite, but in terms in an odd sense, but I think he would be my pick if I had a vote. Because uh, in terms of what's different for him and the team there's a, i think there's a few factors at play so the sixers this off season last season they had like a horrible fit with al horford they were trying to play a double big lineup with him at the power forward and then beat at the center and that was just awful from the jump because horford can't play four what a shocker um so they they were running out of lineups with like three non-shooters on the floor it was and but then, in the offseason, they made some like underratedly like sneaky good moves. I think like they they shipped Al Horford out for Danny Green, who actually like is a three and D player. Like you know he might be inconsistent with his shot, but he fills that role really well. And then Steph, uh, Seth Curry has been in and out of the lineup for the Sixers for a while, but like when he's in that lineup, like he spaced the, the spacing he provides at the at the at the guard spot for them is just like so elite because Seth is definitely like as far as a role player goes, he I think he's in that elite tier of like of, of gravity people who can really shoot uh, lights out from that position.
1: I just want to jump in. I I like Seth a lot. A uh, uh, Mavericks fan, if people don't know, it's one of the few Dallas teams I actually care about. Um, but like when he was on the Mavs, I thought he did a phenomenal job, especially with uh, Luca in his early years of helping that development, uh, being a role player and helping like him do a whole lot better. So I agree with you. When you're saying this in the support role he's playing, which is kind of sad. Like it's said, sad that we had to lose him, but he's he's a star player and deserves to get paid wherever he goes. So you know, it's good for him.
3: Yeah, definitely,
1: for sure. And I guess steering back
0: to the conversation, right? So, is there is there any value there in being? I mean, I like that Brenner kind of said that. Hey, he would basically be my pick. You know, he's looking at plus three hundred odds. You know, compared to LeBron, who who's a favorite. I mean, at that point, um, at that point, I guess the question is, uh, who besides LeBron is somebody we'd be willing to take? Because taking the favorite, just in a gambling sense, but I feel like at the end of the season, it's really going to come down to a point between LeBron and or the field. And at that point, it's if
1: we're going to take someone in the field. Yeah, and question about the the whole voter fatigue that you were saying earlier, Brenner. Uh, that also apply? Like we're saying, so Giannis is probably a, not a great take from the betting world if they take him the fatigue if he's not that Larry Bird status are they not the same way feeling the same way about lebron and looking more at the young blood so like why is joel or uh luca in this case not a better take in terms of the betting standpoint also just they're playing and also in this uh uh steph curry because i think him and Luca are the same way is that the fact that they are the ones carrying their like they're the only good players on their team and keeping them alive in this crazy uh just difficult western
3: conference Hey, I'm a big Draymond Green fan. I think he's definitely one of the he's he's one of the all time like most unique players to ever play his position. So, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug for him real quick. I would <laughs> okay. A little disrespectful to Draymond to say that Steph is the only good player on his team. That said, him and Draymond are definitely holding it down there, and there's not much. Nelson I can't Hunter. believe
0: you like Draymond Green. I, all I know is people who shit on him. Oh, Dray-
3: Draymond is actually fantastic. I think he's so underrated. Like, among other things, this is this relates a little bit to what you and I were talking about a couple days ago, Chris. But Draymond Green is a way better player and way more valuable to the Warriors than Clay Thompson ever will be. Like, oh, like no. definitively. He's, he's, been their, he's been their second best player in all the non-KD years.
0: Cue the, cue the and arguably, for second
3: most valuable, even during the KD years, I think there's a good case to be made for that. But that, that, those That's spicy the, takes um, aside, so the the voter fatigue thing with LeBron is actually a great question. It's 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 really interesting the way you can look at this. And so this is this is how it seems to be going for me. When you're like so, LeBron has been suffering from voter fatigue for so many years now, in terms of sort of, or at least people think he has been, uh, whether he should have actually won those MVPs, in my opinion, is more up for debate than his fans will say. But there's been a large section of the NBA fan base that has been basically like complaining about voter fatigue as it relates to LeBron hurting his MVP odds for so long that it sort of swung back and become the opposite. We have like a reverse voter fatigue boosting him right now where where enough people are riding this high of lebron just winning his his fourth title and elevating his status as a player so much that people have sort of, there's like the the backlash to him not being a serious mvp contender for really the past like like 6 plus years or so it has like gotten high enough that it's flipping in reverse towards his favor So the people advocating for him to be taken more seriously as an MVP candidate for so long now, have now been like, they've successfully influenced the media. Like the media has said, okay, we hear you, you're right. He should be taken as an MVP candidate way more seriously because he's LeBron and he just won another title. We screwed up, now we're like, now we're fixing that. Now LeBron, you know, he's, He's this and he's that, and he's so great. We're actually going to put him at the top of the odds. So, like, I think it's just that, like, when you suffer from voter fatigue for so long, eventually that expires and you go from being, like, perceived to be overrated to, like, perceived to be underrated, if that makes sense. And it'll it's also helping him a little bit in one more sense, and that would be just that because, like, because people have been clamoring for him, to be more in the MVP race for so long and he is LeBron and he just won a title and it deserves saying again he's fucking LeBron that sort of like recognition as a level of player who is used to being in these conversations sort of gives him more clout than it does a guy like Embiid like Embiid has taken a huge amount of shit I would say over the past couple of years some of it deserved some of it not like, people don't really look at him as just the caliber of players who they think should be in MVP races. They're not used to him being in this position. And I, I think that's a little forgivable, actually, given that the Sixers have never really been a contender for a number one seed. And has never really been durable playing in as many games as he has this year or putting up the scoring efficiency that he has this year, which is like an insane leap from the level that he usually does. So,
0: you know, and I and I, and Trust I think the process. I, I think a major <laughs> and I think a major I think a major question here is too. It's like at what point? It's you got to kind of think. Okay, so the media vote on the MVP, right? So how are we perceiving, or at least from a betting standpoint, right? If we're if we're trying to put money on this, and we're trying to and we're trying to actually. You know, put our because this is different than like betting on the outcomes of games, right? We're betting on feelings and thoughts, yeah. right, of other human beings. I wish right? I wish it was more so,
1: a fact how- face than like stats
0: yeah me too me too i wish there was like a line that you could literally draw that like you know if this person leads the league in scoring or something like that or if there's some sort of net efficiency rating or something like that like then this person deserves to be the mvp because that would be a lot easier for us to actually like tackle but that given that being said mvp is a lot of it is based on opinion right so what we should probably clear the air um what are what is your understanding, Brenner, on qualifies as the MVP? Because that conversation gets thrown around a lot, right? Is it the best player on the best team? Is it is it is it truly um, a player that is uh, that is lifting his team and can't quite literally can't succeed without him, right? Um, what are we
1: using as the basis the criteria for an MVP? Uh, Real quick before Brenner gets in there, I want him to do his thoughts real quick. Uh, I think it wouldn't be hammer time if uh, uh, if I make a uh, football comparison here with the voter fatigue and everything. And LeBron's great if we don't compose uh, for future bets. uh, Tom Brady already for Brady. I knew you were (laughs) going to bring up Brady Brady and MVP. Just how much disrespect he's been getting usually, but like. Like you, like, you just said, too, but, like, if he wasn't there, would the team be putting the same amount of effort and, like, like just, you know, star just performance if that person wasn't there? Because I think, like, Brady has proven that he deserves MVP on whatever team he belongs to. Like, just go to whatever team he elevates. See, But that's just for a future bet next year for potentially just, say, put Brady as MVP for the uh, 2021 season. That would be nuts,
0: him being, like, 40- fucking eight years old and (laughs) cashing out an MVP trophy that's insane but but yeah i mean that's a great point though so like yeah brenner i'm kind of curious to see what you think like what what in your eyes is an
3: MVP? anyway i appreciate jacob you know keeping it real and not just limiting us to one sport because as i understand it this is a pot about the sports world in general and not just about the nba so you know no, oh yeah, stuff. bro.
0: Anything, if it, if it, dude, if it makes money, we'll talk <laughs> about it. You winning know,
3: if,
0: if, if you know, you can, you know, there's, there's gambling odds on the Grammys and Oscars and stuff like that. Me and that's Jacob right. have even, me and Jacob have even made, you know, numerous dollars. I'll leave it at that. On betting politics, so,
3: <laughs> oh, it's been great. A, I that's love something that. Something I could totally get into too. Oh, oh, tr- yeah, yeah, you to we need
0: some more conversations than like, yeah. Joe, that. Joe, so, yeah. Joe Biden really helped me out, man. Like whenever on the general election and whenever he won the primaries in Texas, comeback story of a lifetime,
3: yeah, man. Comeback
0: story I, I, of a lifetime. When I, I, I read in 2022.
3: Maybe we have a show special just for that.
0: <laughs> hell yeah! We'll see
3: midterm
0: hammer time. It's gonna be fucking awesome. Be I love hilarious. that. I would love to see
1: that actually too, personally. But yeah, oh, but yeah. But
0: uh, before we before we get to break, I want to hear run rundown what an MVP is. Well,
3: I don't think there's actually a like a really is a definitive answer to that question. You know, um, I have my own personal opinion on like what I look for in an MVP. Well, what do you think for, the media? I think thinks. the media also like uses the talking point that there's not really a set criteria as a way to just vote for whoever their favorite player is and whatever like whatever narrative they think is like the strongest i think like if in fact if i had to put something i would say the media definitely tends to vote for us like they tend to vote with a certain one of the criteria that they always list out and it's usually whoever has like the most captivating like like storyline for casual fans like who's the most marketable in the sense of like with their performances this year. So the media, for example, uh, like the media tends to be shallow like this. Like they they will run with like if, if Russell Westbrook is the guy drawing clicks, you know they'll 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 make a case for him. Oh, he has these triple doubles. Oh, this and this and that. Oh, this year Steph Curry is popular. This year this other guy is popular. That's who they tend to run with, irrespective of what the actual like criteria underneath that seem to be. They'll make up. Criteria, we'll not make up, but they'll find the criteria in favor of that person and roll with it. But even if there's a criteria that tend to go just as strongly for the other guy, they're going to only focus on the first one just because they know that, like, clicks and media, and it's a business at the end of the day, entertainment sells. Uh, but, you know what I mean, the media will, the, 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 what they will say, like, what media members will present to you as a talking point is, Oh, there is no set criteria, it could be storyline, it could be best stats, it could be biggest impact, it could be best player on best team. But to me, when they say that, that really is an excuse, by and large, for them to focus mostly on most captivating narrative. And as Mm. I say that, Mm. I think that causes me to put LeBron as the MVP favorite more and more, even while I'm saying that, because I think he definitely has that in his favor this year.
1: All right, interesting. So, this interesting. Real quick, real quick I'm gonna end this by saying with this before we go to break. Uh, all right, so if it's by the media influence, everyone find your followers. Everyone listening every time, let's get trending. Luca for MVP. And let's just make that the narrative. Let's overtake <laughs> it and make sure Luca gets the MVP, guys. That's what I'm hearing we need to do. Hey, for sure.
0: If MVP really does become a popularity contest, like the all-star voting, fuck it, all we need to do is just make it what it is, right? We, <laughs> we, do, we, need, to get, yeah. we need to get this narrative flying. Hashtag, hashtag MVP Luka. I love Luca, man.
3: I'd be for it. <laughs> that would
0: be awesome. That would be awesome. All right, guys. Um, fun MVP talk we're gonna go ahead and get to a break stick with us Um, when we come around we'll have talk about rookie of the year and overall just take a look at the standings and see what teams are looking to get hot in the second half and what teams are pretenders so um, Jacob Thank you for coming on to the show. I know you're a busy guy. Um, have fun with uh, refing those soccer games and
1: uh, try and not be too corrupt, all right? I mean, just write cards galore. Just end the game quickly. Suspend them. <laughs> Take money That's what Yeah, whatever. About. Whatever. <laughs> Fuck it. It's just a
0: bunch of kids playing ball, right? It is. <laughs> it is. All right. I'll <laughs> catch you. Take care. All right, y'all. All right. We'll be right back after this
2: Hey, 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 Just interrupting the podcast real quick so I could plug my own real quick. Hi, I'm Tony Lopez. I'm the host of Let's Just Talk About. Uh, me and my friends every week talk about sports and pro wrestling. Uh, we put out an episode for sports on Sunday, put up the episode for wrestling either on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. Um, we talk about anything uh, anything from the NFL, NBA, college football uh, baseball, hockey, UFC, um, and then what comes to the wrestling side, anything from WWE, AEW, New Japan Pro Wrestling, or Ring of Honor, uh, NXT, all of it, all of it packed into one nice form, uh, the, the debates get heated and everything, so, I want y'all to find us on everything, subscribe to us, listen, um, Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. And remember, don't just take my word for it. Peace, y'all. And also, listen to Let's Just Talk About.
0: Alright, everybody, welcome back. Hammer time, second half. Alright, guys, so... Um, coming back at you here, me and Brenner on the mic, um, Jacob is out there ready to bully a bunch of kids and ruin their dreams in the soccer world, um, but hey, we're here trying to make some money, trying to have fun talking about basketball here, great topics here coming to you the second half of the show, we are going to dive a little bit into here and take a look and see if there's any value here as we approach midseason looking down the line a bit at uh, at these championship odds as we know basketball is one of those sports where it really feels like only a handful of teams really even have a chance to win at all um and when it comes to betting on shit in the playoffs um it gets really tough when you're trying to make a large profit um I wouldn't even really consider it last minute, but just betting the traditional way. There's a lot of money to be made if you can make these calls early on. Um, like, for example, um, if the Chiefs didn't absolutely shit the bed in the Super Bowl, I would have made a lot of money. Um, I had got them at plus uh, 420 a couple of months before the Super Bowl, which again means that you bet $100, you win $400 profit, pull back five. So versus betting on them the day before the super bowl where money line would have been you have to bet basically double to win half so at minus 200 so there's a drastic drastic amount of payout difference from making these calls early versus doing it the more traditional way which is just waiting for it to actually happen and then kind of picking one of the two out of a hat so a lot of value to be made here a lot of money in these conversations um, I think it'd be really fun for us to dive in and kind of talk about it given that this is the point in the season where I think we've seen enough from a lot of teams to make educated guesses um, along with um, a steady position in terms of odds to actually act on those educated guesses so Um, First thing I'll have us dive into here, Brenner's Rookie of the Year, because odds seem to be the most lopsided amongst any of the other NBA futures. Lamelo Ball appears to be running away with it for the most part. Um, Media-wise, social media-wise, the hype around the league on this kid has completely gone to the nth degree. Uh, As it stands right now, Vegas has him as a minus 500 favorite to walk away with it. Um, with the second uh, second and third best favorite coming in at plus 600 plus so it's really not looking like a competition at all but Given my range of NBA expertise, I would love to see what you think about there being even the option or even really any reasonable value in betting anybody besides LaMelo Ball. Or do you think that he has just absolutely locked it up from what you've seen in the first third to half of the season?
3: Yeah, I think there's a couple guys that might have a sneaky dark horse chance. I don't know if... It'll amount to anything, like definitely LaMelo Ball has the resume and the backing of the media and all that stuff that goes into uh, like a, a justified rightful favorite. Let me check real quick right here on one of these two guys. So the, oh, I'm gonna, let's talk about, they're obviously gonna be near like, of the guys who aren't the favorites, Are gonna be like those next two and three spots, right? So.
0: Right, right, and, and as it stands right now, as far as rookie of the year is concerned, like I said, Lamelo Ball at minus five hundred as the favorite, and then Tyrese Halliburton as the second favorite, and then the third favorite, which is my which is my favorite of the rookies, which is Anthony Edwards, um, coming in at plus one thousand of the Timberwolves, um, and then after that, there's just some dramatic fall off. I don't really even think that there's any other. Uh, reason to even really
3: no, not. put
0: anybody else in the, in the race, honestly, besides those three guys, right?
3: Yeah, the fourth guy is James Wiseman, who had his fair amount of hype coming into the season, but his impact with the Warriors has been so limited so far that they've even benched him for someone else, so right. that that should tell you where he stands in this race. No, not that he's not going to be a good player eventually, but it's, it's the top three here for sure. So, As far as making the cases for each of them, Lomelo is sort of obvious. It's not even about why you've been hearing about him so much. Even as so far as it is, just the fact that you've been hearing about him so much is gonna give him that advantage naturally. And he's been, so he has that, he clearly has that narrative on his side, which as I mentioned in the last segment, in my opinion, tends to be the biggest like sort of litmus test for where these races are going in terms like where the what the media is going to lean towards you know it's not that he's not playing well either he actually is he's you know he's he's a rookie putting up 15 6 and 6 on like reasonable efficiency so it's, he's definitely has a a, uh, a case for to build for why he's such the overwhelming favorite right now for sure
0: for sure um, I mean, but do you, have you seen anything from Halliburton or uh, from, from Edwards that they, yeah. they might have the, the, the gas or the juice to make it, to make a second half push to make this a closer race? Like, is there any value? Like, would I have any value in taking them now and you seeing there might be a turn? Because, I mean, we saw this before with, um, with Ben Simmons a few years back um, not being able to complete his rookie year. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily wish anything bad on the ball, kid. But if he gets hurt and can't finish out the season, he's not going to be rookie of the year. And at that point, Halliburton or, or uh, Edwards are going to have some dramatic jumps and odds. So in the event of something like that, or he just has a really bad second half, I mean, which of these two guys do you think might, you know, might be a dark horse and really might have what it takes to, to run away with this thing late at the end?
3: So they both have a case to be made in a certain way. Edwards, I will say this, Edwards much less than Halliburton. So let me let me lay out for you like where each of these guys sort of stands right now. If, as you say, okay. Ball, who I think we both agree is the overwhelming favorite, gets hurt. Halliburton, let's start with, actually I'll start with Edwards. So Edwards actually hasn't played well this season, basically at all. Like it's not so much about his resume to this point, which really isn't there outside of like one highlight dunk or two. That uh, social yeah. media. Like it, it's funny because even in the even in the game where that highlight dunk, like went viral, he was playing awful. He shot like seven of twenty-three or something in that game. He actually
0: went over seven from downtown in that
3: game. Yeah. So, and his his split for the season is he's averaging like fifteen points, the same as Lamelo but it's on horrible efficiency. It's like 37 on field goals, 31 on threes. However, and I've been hearing this from, from, my, from a friend of mine who is a Timberwolves fan. God bless his soul. God save his soul. Uh, he, 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 what I've been hearing from him is that Edwards has been showing like flashes recently of turning it around. And I think I've heard stuff from other guys to sort of confirm that as well. I haven't, let me preface this by saying, I haven't personally checked the tape on Edwards by watching a Wolves game because of the fucking Wolves, they're that unwatchable to me. Right. But uh, from a lot of people who I trust who do watch, even teams like that, even though he hasn't necessarily turned it fully around in numbers yet, he seems to be getting more comfortable on the floor, finding his spots to where he can sort of score better without rushing and making as many bad decisions like the turnaround not, hasn't necessarily happened yet but we knew going into the season that he had the potential to be a certain type of player and guys who are watching him are saying that he, it seems like that might be on the horizon like maybe he's starting to figure it out Okay. after him and this is where I think the case is much much stronger As, Like especially with the LaMelo injury and in my opinion he's actually like my favorite of these three even just now my personal favorite. Not my who I would pick as the betting favorite. Halliburton? Yeah. If I had a vote, I would go Halliburton. He he was fantastic, like even from the beginning of the year onwards. When the season first started, he was lighting it up and people said this guy looks like the runaway rookie of the year. Lamello was struggling, he was getting benched, and it really looked like it was his race to lose. And then L- Lamello sort of turned the corner in terms of his play and getting more minutes as a starter. And people just forgot about Halliburton or Halley as the Kings fans affectionately call him. But it's not like Halley's play like went away or went down. He's still fantastic. So I mentioned, Lame- like if you just take a quick glance at the counting stats, and this isn't everything, of course, there's so much more to a resume. But to sum it up, Lamello has like 15, 6 and 6 on uh, like 43 and 35 splits. Halley has 13, 4, and 5 on nearly 50% from the field and 40% from three splits. So that's like right. where their resumes differ greatly. Halliburton has like not not crazy lower, but like you know, noticeably lower like volume with those with those like like how how much like Ronald he's putting up but he's doing it much more efficient. efficiently the fact that this guy is a rookie and is putting up like all close to 50% from the floor 40% from three uh, like the Kings actually look like a respectable NBA team during the minutes he's on the floor which even Mm -hmm. though they suck like that says a lot about Halliburton's impact like him he might be Their second best and most valuable player already outside of box, and Mm. that's definitely the case. Traditionally, as well, rookie of the year voting has not really correlated with team winning. So, unlike MVP, where one of the strongest narratives, if not, yeah, so one of the strongest narratives, if not the strongest narrative in MVP voting, is team success. That, you know, rookie of the year that media tends to give guys a little more slack, uh, like for example, Andrew Wiggins and Carl Towns both won the award with the Wolves, and the Wolves were awful both of those years.
0: Well, yeah, and you got to remember, right? I mean, what does it take to even get a rookie of the year caliber player, right? Exactly. To a shitty team, yes, right? Yes. There's,
3: there's- Luca won it on a
0: team with the Mavs, didn't even come close to making the playoffs, um
3: yeah shit. to be like, fair the, the math examples go on and on to be fair the mavs that year were actually like i don't want to say they were good but they were respectable like they were like a 10 seed in the west or something that year right which is likely
0: if they didn't if they didn't shift the bed in the last five minutes of every game yeah. they might have had they might have been able to actually squeeze out an eight seed
3: yeah for sure. And when I say, but but to, to strengthen my point, when I say Wiggins and Towns wanted it on some awful Wolves teams, I mean like genuinely like contending for worst record in the league again level awful, which is sort of where the Kings right now are just a step above that. Like now the counterpoint to what I'm saying right now is because awards increasingly, in my opinion, turn into these like narrative churning popularity contests you do have to pay a close, pay close attention to what the media is talking about too. And in Lamelo's case, one of the things that they're talking about is how much closer to playoff contention the Hornets are this year. Like they, they, I think they got knocked out of the top eight just last night in terms of some results. But before yeah. then, they were literally in the bracket as high as the sixth seat. Um, to me, that says more about how trash the East is because you have like eight teams that are. A- all a few games below having a yeah critical. quite
0: quite literally the Raptors are sitting at four. Yeah. I mean we're 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 recording this here at the very end of February, y'all. Um, the the Raptors are in the four seed at five hundred yeah. 17,
3: so seventeen. The East is god awful, maybe worse than it's ever been before. Like, which the, I didn't
0: think would be possible. There's only
3: like three teams that are even like decent, and some of those would be back end playoff seeds in the west like the nets would be a 5 seed in the west the bucks right now same thing for them you know it's it's i would say that says more about the east but again in term if we're looking at this from a betting perspective the media are the people who vote on these things so paying attention to what they feel like talking about usually is a good indicator of what's going to matter at the end and lamelo you know again I would argue there's some things going on with the hornets besides Lamelo. they did sign this is an underrated aspect of their success they signed gordon hayward which long term isn't really a decision that makes sense to me but in terms of w- right. winning more immediately this season gordon hayward is still a borderline all-star level player like people forgot sort of what this guy can contribute to a team when his role isn't sort of being like sandwiched on both ends and taken away from by two Developing young players who are obviously absolutely, ascending. Absolutely. You know, on Boston, Brown and Tatum are, they play more, they play the same sort of wing style position as Hayward. And obviously they're ascending to new and new heights every year. He, he wasn't really going to get a chance to flourish there. But on the Hornets, if I take a quick glance, and just his, you know, again, these are raw counting yeah. numbers. Right?
0: And and by the way, guys, um, to the listeners out there, if you if you I don't know if you check out the last episode, but really cool Gordon Hayward story from Ethan Harris, a um, uh, fellow who uh, hosted him um, with us last uh, last episode, or he uh, actually was in the building at a Mavericks game. Uh, against the Jazz a few years back where Gordon Hayward hits a game-winning shot to completely take the air out of the building. Really cool story. Check it out if you'll have it. Um, Just attesting back to what Brenner here is saying. For
3: sure. So he's he's basically a 22-point scorer on, again, near 49, 50% from the floor, 42% from three, throwing in five rebounds, four assists, which is pretty good for a wing player. Like, he's not, he's, he's obviously not going to be Brown or Tatum, but, like, people forget this is a good fucking player. Like, I think yeah. he's by far the Hornets' best player. And the media, how relevant is that? Well, here's the shocker, probably not at all to this race. Because the media really seems to be ignoring what Hayward has been contributing to that team. And for understandable reasons, you know, what people care about as far as the Hornets is not will Gordon Hayward lead them to the... 10, 9, 8 seed this year in a first-round sweep, it's, it's you know, what does mellow Ball look like for their future five years from now? So that's getting all the attention and a lot of their, like, their increased success, which again, if you really dig into it, has a lot to do with Hayward, is really being put on the Lamello's shoulder. And this might be the one year where the media really just makes a case for, for Rookie of the Year by saying, wow this is like the first rookie who's ever had such an impact on winning or something like that so that's not to be dismissed i bring all this up to just help you guys who are the people trying to put put down money on this make like an informed decision on which factors you think will be more important again so like if you want to put down money on halliburton it's not a bad bet like traditionally again the rookie of the has never really valued winning And he has great numbers himself, too. He was the favorite at the beginning of the year. LaMelo, if he turns an ankle, misses like 20 games, you're going to hear some buzz about Halliburton by the end of those 20 games, maybe.
0: It almost seems like his brother and his dad and the overall ball name has kind of put him in a position to get like an odds boost and a media boost just by association. For sure and it's kind of funny looking at things that way but I mean it's the truth you know especially when you're talking about these media based awards it's like even bad publicity is good publicity and it's got more eyes on him and it I, I kind of feel bad for Halliburton to an extent, because you know I I myself feel ignorant for not knowing enough about him or, or taking the time to really kind of break down his game and see him play because of shit like that. Great. And of course, the Kings don't get very much coverage as it is. I mean, when was the last time you saw the Sacramento Kings play on prime
3: time? Huh. Right? For sure. Probably been years. Probably not since those. Other than the random occasional DeMarcus Cousins game, like. They haven't been a primetime outlet since Vlade Divac in the fucking early 2000s. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Halliburton's fantastic, man. I just want to say that a real quick plug for him. For people who don't know this kid, like, his game is awesome. He has such control, good feel for the game, high basketball IQ. He always seems to make, like, the right winning play for the Kings. You know, they're an awful team, but when he's, during the minutes he's on the floor, they really look like semi-respectable which is a pretty big compliment for a guy like Halliburton he's awesome man I just want to say that
0: good shit so guys keep an eye on Halliburton Uh, you know if you're looking to get some value out of a team or out of a player for the rookie of the year race and don't want to just caught in putting up a gazillion dollars to win a few pennies and taking the ball and you know if you want to fade the hype train then seems like this kid might be worth taking a look at. If you want to be a little more cautious about it and see if the odds shift a little bit more in your favor as we approach All-Star break, that might be the smart way to go about it. But other than that, definitely, definitely want to keep an eye on it. Even I am probably going to sprinkle sprinkle a couple of bucks on Halliburton too. Um, went Rookie of the Year and uh, just to uh, fade the ball because I'm not a real big fan of the balls anyway, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and ride with that I like the take, I like the insight so thank you for that one Brenner no um, we'll go ahead and transition the conversation over into the futures as we approach All-Star Break, so we have the east which is a crap shoot from hell it literally looks like a bunch of high school teams with a couple of bullies at the top and the west looks like, an, like a fucking looks like world war two it's just a absolute landmine of good teams hell I would you know you could put a team like the Spurs probably in the east and they would have a really good shot of pulling off what the heat did last year so um I'll let you pick, Brenner. What do you want to talk about first? The East. This is going to be
3: my favorite segment of the show, honestly. I love the futures because this is just even with taking the betting aspect out of it. This is what the NBA is all about, right? You just sit down with your friends, have a conversation. Hey, the title shot, who do you think got it this year? So it's going to be fun. Exactly. Um, You know, whichever one you want to pick, man. Like East, West. All right.
0: You know what? Because the West is so entertaining, let's just go ahead and tackle the East.
3: All right. Sounds good. So,
0: the East, as it stands right now, the Nets are the whole-on favorite. Now, they're not, wins-wise, not yet. It seems like Vegas is very cautious and willing to, to understand that they will be max healthy come playoff time, or should be. Um, the Nets, at I believe, uh, let's see here, I believe they're riding at, um, let's see... I believe they're actually sitting here at plus. Let's see, to win the East specifically, they're sitting at plus 150. The Bucks come in second at plus 275, and then a massive drop off to the Sixers at plus 500. Celtics rounding off the top four at plus 850. Everybody after that is plus 1200 on. So very, very hard. Very, very. 50, it means you bet a hundred, bet 150 if they capitalize on the bet. Now, the Nets, the Bucks, seems to be the only ones that Vegas is actually respecting. Is there any value here in actually taking the Sixers? I mean, they actually are the number one team in the East. I mean, is that is it one of those, is it one of those things that's just too good to be true? Because they think that the Bucks have just not hit their full stride yet, or because the Nets are just not healthy, or should we take this for what it is and know that Vegas probably has the upper hand on us most times, and really kind of just differentiate between those two teams?
3: To be honest, I have no idea why the Sixers are so like. If if you interpret plus five hundred as being really low odds, you know, I'll leave that to you since you're the more of a betting expert than I am. But if that's true...
0: Right. I mean, plus 500 means... Guys, I mean, that's that's a huge value there. If yeah, out, I have no idea. Right. hundred bucks, you win five hundred dollars if they cash. So you could put a couple hundred dollars and win a rack if they actually. And all I have to do is win the East. You know, the fucking East. Which means that if you're assuming that the Sixers are a good team and can take care of the first couple of rounds, then you're looking at five to one money one on
3: off. a series head to head
0: with one. Exactly.
3: Seed. So that's the thing. Especially if they hold on to the number one seed. Like if the top three teams hold and Miami does not, so so Miami is gonna be a factor here, at least in terms of this sense. If Miami doesn't hold on to their streak to make it to the four seed, which is very much in play, because again, the East is so trash. You see right now, the four seed is Toronto at 17 and 17, and the seven seed, which is Miami, that's, that seems pretty far back. It's not, it's a half game, 16 and 17. So that could change. But let's assume the top four holds as it is and Philly plays a Toronto team that really lost its main defensive anchors at big man over the off season. I mean, that's cake, like you're basically looking at Philly to you're betting really favorable money on them to win the East. And what you're really saying is, can they handle their business in two lackluster rounds and beat the winner of a net bucks one exactly. So exactly. that on top of just how good the team they seem to be overall, and how well Embiid is playing this year, I have no fucking idea why they have no respect for the Sixers on this list. Like they to, just in a vacuum. Don't even talk to me about betting. If you told me to list teams that I think can win the East, the Sixers would be right there. Like they're the for a multitude of reasons. They really look like they have a shot this week.
0: Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And at that point, is it, a, is, it a, is it a trap? Like, are the Nets a trap? Like, are they a trap team? Are they... Because Vegas does that. They put landmines everywhere for you to completely trip and fall on. And it seems like that's what they're trying to do here right now with these odds listings on the Nets. It almost seems like they're trying to trick us into thinking, Okay. Hey, look, they—they're a lock beyond the standings. Um, James Harden is playing his fucking mind off, and this team isn't even fully, fully, you know, hit its stride yet, and it probably won't for a couple of months. So. I I would be very inclined to fade the nets in the sense that it does look like a trap so I would want to bet on a team that isn't them I mean obviously my personal biases would lead me to want to hate on everything that they've built there the whole Katie, Kyrie James Harden mix it's like they got every crybaby in the world and put it (coughs) on the squad like, So I'm very, very inclined to hate on the Nets top to bottom. And beyond that, again, it seems like they're just a fucking trap that Vegas is putting there to try and steal people's money. And if that's the case, then there's a lot of money to be made on taking the team like the Sixers or I guess maybe even the Bucks. even though I just don't really trust the Bucks as a playoff team per se but hell if you believe in any other team beyond that top 3 you're talking about making a lot of dough like if the, if the like I've been huge on the Celtics over the last few years the Celtics 50 can win nearly t- nine times your money if you can take the Celtics and they can win it out so oh man it's really really tough to break down at the end of the day but i i would just like to i don't know i just i'm 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 just wanting to fade the hell out of the Nets. It just seems like such a bad take. And, and with this East, it really just seems like if you're going to take a team at all, it's with, the, it's with the pretense that they are going to fly by these first couple of rounds. And what, how good of odds can you get on an impending Eastern Conference Finals? So that's really what I'm trying to look at here. Now, granted, I think the Nets do have the firepower to kind of trip and fall into the Eastern Conference Finals, regardless, given that they're most likely going to be playing bullshit teams to get there in the first place. So, you know, really, is it like what are we getting going into the Conference Finals? Because, again, if you're waiting until the Conference Finals to bet that, then you're going to be getting drastically different odds. You'll probably get the Nets. Up. If the Nets are in the conference finals, no matter who they're playing, they are probably, probably going to get them at minus like 250 or maybe even minus 300. It's going to be very drastic. You're going to have to bet a lot of money to win a little bit of money. So it's a great idea to get on this shit now. Same thing I did with the Kansas City Chiefs for those who have been with the Hammer Time team for months with us. Thank you, by the way. But I took the Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl months before the playoffs even started and i got that at plus 200 onward so but when they played the bills when they played the bills they were actually minus 200 so you're talking about a dramatic switch dramatic dramatic shift in the payout for what you're putting down is why, again, I emphasize how good of an idea it is to evaluate these things now. Especially if you're betting through a bookie or something like that where you're using credit instead of actual money on the front end and having to actually upfront any capital. Great idea to actually do this type of stuff. So... Again, Brenner, I don't know if there's a specific team. It sounds like you're heavy on the Sixers being undervalued here. Um, I'd I'd be inclined to go ahead and ride with you on that. That sounds like a good idea. Um, if there's any sort of true dark horse, I would love to take the Celtics. Um, I just think that in a seven-game series, that team has showed me enough fight over the last four years that I think that they could really handle the juice with anybody in the East. Like, really anybody. Um but again, that's me. I'm going I'm going with the eyeball test here. I don't know if you're as big on the Celtics. I as well.
3: am definitely not on with you on that. And there's there's, there's a few interesting like takes and, and tidbits I can add on quite a few of these teams. Um, if you want me to start with the Celtics, me and most of the people that I trust are very low on them this year. and they they really just don't they don't have the resume in my opinion as of right now. To stand to be really doing much of anything in in terms of the picture for actually winning the conference like they have they have two young stars who can probably upset any given one team in a series like that's not out of the question and you know beyond that obviously nothing's for certain in the sports world like there's probably a world out there somewhere where the celtics win the East and like I'm not trying to say that that 100% can't happen but in terms of like would that be a smart bet? in my opinion no if you really look at the the, like the profile of the celtics as a team they are massively massively declined from last year and you can look at it beyond just the fact that they're 16 and 17 like if you want to ask like a lot of people may have be having trouble answering the question of why are they 16 and 17 is it just a cold streak from guys like tatum who are normally good is it the fact that they have guys out with COVID or are they actually declined in terms of roster. And the issue for me is that it really does seem to be the third one. So they, they lost a lot of good rotation contributors from a squad last year that already was not that deep. Like people, you have to look back and remember that the Celtics problem as a team last year, one of their biggest ones was already depth. Like they had, they were a playoff team where people looked at them and said, "They are a playoff team because of the strength of their starting five, but their weakness is already the depth." And the guys that were holding that boat together are not even, are not well weren't well known names even by role player standards. Like if I told asked you who Brad Wanamaker is, you'd be like, "What the fuck, that guy?" Or at, or at, or at worst, <laughs> who who is that? Um, it. Right. It's gotten even worse. The thing is, here, here's the way one one friend who I really trust put this to me, and I know a lot of Celtics fans who are really smart about watching their team. They're not biased at all. They the Celtics already had a weak rotation last year because their bench minutes were being played by guys who were barely net neutral in impact. They've replaced those guys with with players who are more well known in terms of name but are actually far more negatively impacting the team. The guys they have coming off the bench now are genuinely like scrub level impact. Like they're not good. They actively hurt the team. Jeff Teague is awful. Tristan Thompson is awful and washed. These guys fucking suck. The data straight up will tell you. Like these guys make their opponents outscore their team by so and so many more points while they're on the floor that they just they're just bad like straight up and then Danny Ainge made this problem way worse during the offseason by trading Gordon Hayward who you just heard me talk about him his numbers were not what they were now in Boston but that's because he was being flanked by other really talented guys but this he's showing in Charlotte the guy he has the potential to be and his ability and for what it's worth, the Celtics lost a pretty knockdown, down drag-out playoff series to the Heat with Gordon Hayward missing a large portion of it. That was a big loss for them last year. So in the offseason, the Celtics lost Brad Wanamaker, who, again, is not, like, a crazy good player. He was good for, like, six points a game on decent defense for, like, barely neutral impact. But they replaced him with guys who just are straight up like huge negatives. So going from neutral to huge negative is still a huge drop. Guys like, they don't have a real backup point guard. Jeff Teague fucking sucks. Tristan Thompson is literal ass. He is not good at protecting the rim or anything related to defense anymore. Uh, The fuck, what else? Kemba Walker had like his first game of the season last night, where he finally played up to his contract level. That was another reason the Celtics have declined. Kemba Walker regressed massively. I, it might be injury related or most oh so
0: bad so drastically what a fucking disappointment i i remember when the mavs were in the hunting for him because uh, as as the fans know here i i am a mavs fan um and by the way brenner i haven't actually asked you, are yeah, you a i'm fan a rockets of any specific fan. team <laughs> rockets fan okay there you go uh interested on in your hard intakes then specifically but um but yeah dude like i, I looking at Kimba play it's like oh i don't even feel bad that we you know, sure. we didn't land him because it's like god i mean fuck like i mean i'm i have enough i have enough uh, frustration built up and blue balls with built up fucking christoph Porzingis. last thing i need is another fucking overpaid piece of shit just taking up space like
3: Kemba Walker now. He had his, a good God. He had his and, first good game of the season last night. It's worth if anyone is high on the Celtics watching that closely seeing if that bears out has Kemba Walker turned things around. Is he playing back to like his old self? Um but yeah, other than that the resume for the Celtics is a, is it a, is that it's a team with two stars who aren't like really even transcendently great passers which i think matters when your team really struggles on offense as the celtics do um like if if your team is two transcendent stars and a bunch of role players you want stars who are really good at the creation aspect of creating shots for other people brown especially doesn't have a resume before this year of being able to do that under pressure in the playoffs Um, not only that but like they're they don't have a real big man even though 10, D- Daniel Tice is a really good like substitute ideally like he's not really like a traditional rim protecting center he does a lot of other things well but especially the backups is like where it really gets bad they have no real backup point guard as long as Kemba Walker stays inconsistent at best garbage at worst they have no real starting point guard they have no, they have no, no even ghost of a backup big man it doesn't look good for them. Like, I I genuinely, this roster right now just doesn't look like a team that I would really pick to do anything in the East. If you look at the statistics behind it, Mm. their net rating is plus 0.5, like slightly above average. And for people who don't really pay attention to things like margin of victory, point differential net rating, it's all kind of different names for the same thing. That's like one of the most important stats. Like it's probably the stat I look at most in basketball, to be honest. I think it's maybe the most important one. It tends to predict playoff performance better than win and loss record. Like the ultimate extension of this would be like, if a team has 50 wins and an average margin of victory of plus three in those 50 wins, are they better than a team that won 49 times but has an average margin of victory of plus 12 but they happen to lose one more game mm-hmm. by one point, point. and so the what they call the right. Pythagorean record prediction, which is that really nerdy fancy way of looking.
0: You know, there's a. I I know it's funny. There's. A, I think there's a really. I don't know what the uh, corresponding statistic would be, but I think that's extremely prominent in a sport yeah, like it's baseball. Um, um, you see, you see that a lot. Like. Yeah. A, a, I'm a Rangers fan too, obviously, and um, there were a few years back, I say a few years back, more like five years now, the Rangers had, they had had an absolutely phenomenal season winning the AL West, um, kind of capping off the end of a bit of a really good championship window that they wasted, but they had made the playoffs off of winning like 15, 20 games by a singular run, and Completely collapsed. Completely
3: I, I know what season yeah, you're talking about. They, they won like ninety one games in baseball and their their margin of victory for the whole season was plus six. It was crazy.
0: Exactly, it was something ridiculous like that, and they were cool. Yeah, it, 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 and when they got there, obviously they shot the bed, but it was it's it was funny to think because yeah, it's like one, the, these teams who who are kind of beneficiaries of situational baseball or basketball, right? It's it's it it can make it can definitely. Corrupt the average fan's brain when thinking about how to pick games, you know, especially for us as bettors over here on the Hammer Time team, whenever we're looking at these games and we're trying to make the best of it and ultimately profit off of it. To Brenner's point, that's really ultimately how we should look at this stuff, especially when we're trying to bet the spread these margins of victory are extremely extremely beneficial and i think it would be a really good idea to keep an eye on that stuff as we get closer and closer to playoff time when the when the money starts really flooding in and we yeah, have more data the point
3: order. differential which is not the exact same thing as net rating but like in a casual sense that you can use them almost interchangeably the, the only difference between the two is that one is adjusted for pace. So it's, like, measured per minute as opposed to per game. But, like, they're more or less the same. Like, you can you can find regular point differential, or MOV, as I like to call it. It's literally, like, you could just go to the ESPN.com box score, or rather the standings chart, and it's it's right there on the end column. You, you, you can find it with a Google search. So it's really not, like, some crazy advanced, like, quantum calculus bullshit Einstein stat. You know, it's right there for the counting. And Mm -hmm. the Celtics 16 and 17 record, okay, does their point differential say that they're better than that? Not really. Plus 0.5 is the same as the Knicks. Like, that's... Like, I want to give people some reference for this right here. Plus 3 is like your average 50 win team. You know, plus the Bucks are at plus 7.6 which is like really good. That's like near nearing 60 win team territory uh plus zero is like pretty much about what it looks like it's like are you a your average 500 garbage feeding team so that's what about what the Celtics look like and the way that their roster is constructed has flaws that make you understand why so i'm not really very high on them um a team that is an interesting dark horse, if you did ask me for one, is Miami, because Jimmy Butler was wow. it, like again, there's some factors at play where you know the Heat are very contradictory in a lot of ways. So they they're let me give you the case against them first off. So the case against Miami is last year their net rating was also not very good. It was like plus one point something. Very lackluster. That's like a 45 win first round out, eighth seed in the West, usually. In the East, since the conference is so much worse, you know, that usually means more. But that's like a Western Conference eighth seed or something in most years. Like right now, right now, the eighth seed in the West is the Denver Nuggets, who are plus four. The seventh seed is the Golden State Warriors, who are plus two. So that's usually what that means to give you a sense. The Heat were like plus 1.5 last year. They led the league in three-point shooting percentage, which in the context of predicting a team's future performance is bad because a lot of statistical studies over the years have shown that there isn't actually a high degree of control that opposing defenses can exert over their opponent's three-point percentage. Three-point defense on a team level in the NBA Usually manifests itself in the in the form of how many how many attempts in volume do you allow? Like, am I running them off the line or not? Mm. But your percentage does Great not balling. really vary based on the defense. It's really just about what caliber of shooter are you, and then a lot of variance. And so when you look at a team that is near the bottom or top of the league in a shooting statistic. That is a statistic that tends to fluctuate wildly from a game to game and year to year basis. It doesn't it? Isn't really a sign of any future consistency, unless like you're something absurd like the super team, all-time best shooting Golden State Warriors. You know, obviously you can use your common sense and find some differences. But the, the and but the Heat were an interesting team because they led the league in three-point shooting percentage. But when you went down that roster. That was a roster last year that only had two real shooters tyler hero and duncan robinson and the rest of that team had historically been awful at shooting the basketball from downtown jimmy butler is a non-shooter bam out is a non-shooter andre Iguodala right. has always been a non-shooter who randomly gets fluky hot for like a game or two in the playoff game six iggy is a running <laughs> joke between me and my friends because it seems like Every year in the in the playoffs, when the Warriors played the Rockets, game six, Iguadala went off. When they were playing the Cavs in the finals, game six, Iguadala went off. And then last year in the playoffs, when they played Boston in game six, the Heat won that game because Andre Iguadala went off for like some absurd amount of threes. But as a player, he is not a shooter. Same thing for Jay Crowder. He's never really been consistent at that. So you really looked at it as a team that seems to be having a even though two of their shooters are really good if either of them declined even slightly they were looking at a drastic drop off in offensive performance so that is a factor at play the net rating suggested that as well that they are not actually a elite team they are just having a fluke run of elite play was what the numbers suggested and that's that doesn't mean to take away anything from what they did last year it's still an incredible accomplishment they played their asses off they overcame a lot of really tough competition they had a lot of heart they were absolutely in the running to win the title last year but in terms of predicting it for the future was that a one-off or sort of a a a, did they just catch lightning in a bottle and the statistical profile of the heat suggested yes furthermore this season they had a minus 2.0 net rating through these first several games 16 and 17 record worse than the knicks as i'm saying and even though the knicks are good i like to use them as not good but like the knicks are decent this year i usually like to use them as my barometer for like are you a piece of shit or not because they're the fucking knicks but okay (laughs) so all of that being said why did i just say miami might be a dark horse then okay so there's two there's there's evidence towards this as well the first thing would be Miami's profile for the current year has been that Jimmy Butler has missed a lot of games with injury. So that that right there tells you, okay, their record and their net rating might not be telling me the whole story. On top of that, if you really look at the way their roster is constructed, you can make an argument that if their shooters have been suffering decline this year, maybe it's because their team didn't have the main creator of those shots in the lineup in Butler. So maybe that explains their, like any regression in short shooting performance. So if you're looking at like, why, why should I take the heat again? You could say to yourself, okay, while Butler was out, Bam Adebayo showed that he has taken a leap in his level of play. Bam looks even more fantastic than last year, this season. So if Bam has gotten better, and the rest of the team might actually secretly be the same team last year maybe it wasn't lightning in a bottle if as long as butler is in the lineup maybe he's just the loose end to what they do when you could be looking at a team maybe their current win streak which they are on one right now they've won their last five games their net rating before that win streak was like minus five they've cut it all the way down to minus 1.9 They're clearly trending upward. They went from like the 13 seed to the 7 seed in the East. I'll leave that to you guys to figure out how much you think that means. But like, they might be in the next year. Maybe the Heat keep on streaking upward. They grab that 4 seed and they're right there in the picture. And at the, at year's end, they might be in the, like at the very least, like in that bracket playing spoiler. And maybe maybe they're contending to get to the finals again. Like genuinely, if Butler and Bam are as good as everything seems to suggest this year, there's no there's there isn't really like a strong case for saying, well, how come they can't be in the mix with these other like teams in the East who have one two other stars at max as well? Or in Brooklyn's case, three, but we can talk about them in a second. So there's there's cases for and against Miami i say everything i just said just to lay out the cases for you guys so that you guys can be like educated on which one you believe more my personal opinion my own is i think that miami might actually be turning it around like i don't know if they'll ever hit the the peak level of play that they did last year but they might be that fourth team in this mix with those other three that like we talked about in the context of vegas if you think that if you look at them, these money lines, the Heat are way back at plus 1,200. So if you, if you believe that they can grab the four seed and win two playoff series against tough opposition, then why not bet money on that? Especially since you've seen that the Heat, I believe the Heat handled the Nets in one of their games this year without Jimmy Butler even playing. Like... I think that each of those other three East teams all have a really good playoff matchup with the Nets because the Nets have no real semblance of a big man or interior defense and really much of a defense at all. And each of these three teams has a star to superstar big man that can totally take advantage of that matchup inside for the Heat.
0: So if, we're, so if we're taking it if we're taking it for what it is right so if we're if we're, yeah. if we're fading the Nets here right and we are taking a quote-unquote favorite dark horse versus a long shot dark horse and going off of what you're telling me here it sounds like it might be a good idea to go ahead and ride with the um, to ride so like if let's say you had For the sake of making numbers easy, runner, $100, right? It sounds like you want to take the Heat and the Sixers. You got the Sixers at plus 500. Plus 1,200, yeah. Plus 12. What would you, would you split that 50-50? Yeah,
3: if I was betting on the East right now, here's how I would allocate that money. I put like 50 bucks of that on the Sixers if I had only 100. Probably the next 30 to 35, oh, since actually since the Heat is looking at a huge payout for a little money, let's say 30, the next 35 on the Bucks and the next 15 on the Heat. I I would put the Bucks in there as well, Like, like the Bucks traditionally have had a few problems that while it's hurt their regular season performance this year. I think, I think they're actually going to be better in the playoffs than I have in the past. that's not for certain, but there's reason to be game.
0: I like it. I like that a lot. Um, that's exactly what I'm so so, guys. You hear that? Keep an eye on the Sixers. The Heat might might look at them to potentially have the capacity to repeat in a line in a in a really at a shit show we call the Eastern Conference. So keep an eye on that. Um, We are going to go ahead and take the time here and move to another quick break. Um, When we come back, we're going to go ahead and wrap up and talk about the West and then do a little bit of free range roundtable, talking about what other storylines we might like. Um, Honestly, I would like to talk a little bit about um, what teams... Um, really, might just have the capacity to go ahead and get on the trading block, and what teams might actually, um, actually, genuinely benefit from even making a move at the deadline. So, because um, that's really where we see teams—you know, these buyers and sellers—you know, who would actually genuinely benefit from it, or who is just fucking making moves for the sake of making moves. Um, so, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. Stick with us. We're gonna have an awesome conversation about the Western Conference. Hey, everybody! Welcome back. Hammer time. Third segment. We're just guys, so we are going to go ahead and break down what we have available here in front of us. Now the West is a land mine field. Now it is full, chock full of talent, quite literally from top to bottom. I think you could seriously run playoff series from the teams who didn't make it in the West and pin them up against the bottom half of the teams who did make the playoffs in the East, man, I think it'd be pretty damn close. I'm telling you. I mean, shit, even a team like the Grizzlies, I think, could run a team like like the
3: like the Raptors to
0: the brink. Like, really, like, it's just so full and
3: chock full of talent. For sure. I, th- I had friends, like, recently tell me that the fucking... The Pelicans are just the Celtics but in the Western Conference. In terms of ceiling, or oh, like yeah. there was actually they said it about the Kings actually back when the Kings hadn't lost like they they were like three games better than they were now they were legitimately like ahead of the Celtics in record but not in playoff seating and my dude my dude like he tra- cracked a joke to me that the Kings are fucking better than the Celtics and he was actually like semi serious if you if you like the Knicks or the Eastern Conference five seed I would. I think I would pick the Grizzlies over them in a series. I really would. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's, it's not. A, I mean, it's not a. It's not a ridiculous take. It really isn't. You know. So, that being said, let's go ahead and take a look at the odds from top to bottom. What are we looking at here, Brian?
3: Well, with the West, let me find those real quick. Uh, Laker, Lakers plus one twenty-five, and then Clippers and so on. Uh. Yeah.
0: So the Clippers are still riding at number two, or the Jazz? The
3: Jazz are a distant third at plus four 50s.
0: Man, are they... But standings-wise, are the Jazz not number one? Oh, they're
3: number one in the whole league. If you want to get cracking on talking about that, in my opinion, the Western Conference version of the Sixers is the Jazz. Oh, for sure. It's a little more iffy for me because the Jazz, like the way the, their star players have a long have a particularly Colbert have a long history. of Like the, the Jazz, um, they 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 have much more of a feel of a team that has less of a chance to replicate what they're doing now in the playoffs. Like. I could see the Sixers running circles around the Nets, like just totally destroying them. That has a chance of happening, but like, would you would you bet on the Jazz doing that with the with the Lakers? Like, you know. But at the same time, they they probably still aren't getting the love that they should be in terms of betting.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, to think that the Jazz are. You know, number one in the west, in the whole league. In the league, the whole league, and they're sitting at plus four fifty to win their conference. Not only
3: that, but in, like, they they have they are number one by uh, in the whole league by having nearly half the losses of the next best team, which is pretty wild. Like at one point, they're like they're like twenty six and six I feel like the next best team's like eleven losses. This
0: loss is two eleven. That's crazy. That's nuts.
3: It it really is. I
0: yeah. mean, see, and I wanna the jazz are actually pretty damn decent. I was I was probably more bullish on the jazz last year than I was on them coming into this year. But I mean what are what are we what is I mean, if at all, what is Vegas missing
3: here? Or what are we It's missing? crazy. But I Coming into the year, I had the Jazz, honestly. Like, I wasn't sure they were going to make the playoffs with how loaded the West looked. I was like, I was, I was thinking at the beginning of the season, like, if Harden doesn't force his way out of Houston early enough and the Rockets stay in the picture, like, I legitimately had them as my ninth best team in the West because no one saw this coming. Uh... Their net rating is plus nine point seven, which is which would the their
0: losses? Their losses are still in the same.
3: Their nine point seven is a net rating that would have hit the league last year. No way, never mind. The Bucks were crazy; they were like plus ten. But it was it would be better than the Lakers last year. Look, once you near plus ten, like that's all time. That's honestly all time great team level. Once you hit 10.0 net rating, like the Warriors teams of the past. Four or five years have all been ten or higher net rating. And and Brenner, if you don't mind,
0: just for the fans here, could you break down uh, just briefly what net rating? Yeah.
3: Is again? So uh, it is basically, if you, it's the definition, quote unquote, is it's the total number of points you've scored over the course of the season minus the total number of points you've allowed over the course of the season. And then that's point differential. And then if you take point differential and adjust it slightly to be on a per possession basis, as opposed to a per game basis, then that's net rate. So the simplest way to imagine it is: if it, is, it tells you how good teams are in this sense. If 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 the Jazz had won ten straight games by say twenty points each they would have a net rating of plus 20. If they'd won five games by plus 20 and then lost, let's say five of them by 10, then their net rating would be plus 10. Or conversely, if they won five games by, this is a more realistic scenario, as opposed to something wacky, like the last two I mentioned, you'll have a team that wins 10 games by about 10 points each. And then they lose two of them, and then they lose two more by also about 10 points each. Then their net rating comes out to be about plus eight. And then by doing this, what you've really done is, met, is there's there's a lot of evidence where people have weighed this up and said that this, this basically predicts how good a team will be in the playoffs as well, or if not much better than their win-loss rate. I think I mentioned in the last segment earlier that you can think of this as being if one team has won fifty games by an average net rating or average margin is the easiest way to put that because the margin is net rating of plus one, then they will be a fifty-win team with a net rating of plus one. And in the re- and this is a this this example I'm about to give is very close to what often happens in the real life NBA. How do you compare that to a? 46 win team. Let's just say they have four more losses, which usually is about two or three playoff seats. But they're 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 a 46 win team, but their net rating is plus five. How do you compare that? Well, what you what that means is that one of these teams lost four more games, but it most likely was in a fluky way, and you can tell because on average they tend to win games by much more but their losses are much closer. So what does that tell you? If a team wins all their games in blowouts and every single one of their losses is just barely, how do you compare that to a team that only wins just barely, but every single one of their losses is a blowout? And it turns out oftentimes in the real NBA, you can have teams that have those exact two types of opposite profiles, even though they have near the same amount of wins. And so that is where the strength of something like net rating really shows through because you can tell underlying that record, is this team as good as their record? Is it a fluke? Who is actually better projecting for the playoffs? It has a really consistent record of showing, like for example, those Warriors teams were all time great. They were plus 10 or so. We knew going into the playoffs, They're going to be challenged very little in these playoffs, if at all. Conversely, the Miami Heat super, quote unquote, super team before the Warriors won always seemed to to some people might have surprised them by always seeming to run into more trouble and stickier situations in the playoffs than you would expect. In fact, they only went two for two, or rather two of four in winning titles during their time together. But if you looked at their net rating, that wouldn't have actually surprised you very much. Because the Miami Heatles net rating never actually hit super team level. If you were really thinking, if you were like an NBA stat nerd, what you would have said is this is a team that isn't, is really underachieving. They're not actually a super team and they'll just go as LeBron goes because their roster fit really isn't that. You know, if you were a coach, you could look at it with the X's and O's, you'd say, Oh, well, their roster fit really isn't that good. Neither Wade or LeBron is a knockdown shooter, and one of them always has to be off the ball. And they're smart, so they'll figure it out. Wade is a really good cutter. But at the same time, it will never really jive and fit quite as well as a super team should. This team will always be less than the sum of its parts. And that's exactly what happened with the Heat. Through net rating, people who saw their net rating were easily able to predict that the Miami Heat, quote-unquote, super team was not going to run through the playoffs in the way that most people expected them to. And, you know, there's a bunch of other things that go into this. Net, net rating is not perfect. It's not the end-all be-all. There's ways to look at it from a coach's perspective, X's and O's, that I could also do, where you could say, okay, which teams, not only, you know, net rating is a measurement of how much you're over or underperforming your record in the playoffs there's also a way to look at how much you think a team will over or underperform their net rating which is for an example a problem the Bucks have had and the early LeBron Cavs teams did where you said these teams are great in the regular season but they're really centric around one star and a bunch of inconsistent role players so in the playoffs mm. they're probably not going to perform as well as this net rating and so,
0: so again again so the the basic formula basically plus minus uh point differential divided by possession.
3: yeah or you really don't even have to think about the possession part net rating will very rarely differ from point differential in a large meaningful way you like for the most part you can really just look at the mov on an ESPN box chart, that's really all it takes. But yeah, that's what it is.
0: is it MOV. Yeah, it stands M-O-V? for margin
3: of victory, and that—that's just a synonym for point differential. So it, it, this right. all comes right. from like the age-old like practice in soccer, which is really where a lot of these sporting uh, practices come from. This is really meaningful in association football or soccer, where point differential is actually so important. For separating teams with similar or the exact same record, that it's literally one of the official tiebreakers in the sport. Like, how, like how many like goals scored versus goals allowed is a really big deal. Yeah, exactly. And so then you have to think about why why isn't this talked about to the same degree in other sports, I mean, such as basketball, football, and baseball, when it has shown to be just as important in those areas. So yeah, in basketball, it really is. The way to think about it is. For the course of the entire season, how much have I outscored my opponents by or been outscored by, and then divided on a per game basis? That's literally all it is. That's the only way to, For sure. that, that's like the simplest sure. way to put it. How much has my team okay. outperformed or underperformed the competition in terms of points scored versus allowed the entire season? And so. Great, right. great. Right. Well, i appreciate you yeah, uh that's a, that's a mouthful for the, for the I, to get a little bit of nuance into it which i did think is important and i wanted to do i did ramble a bit there but you know i think i think it's important to like sort of express just how big of a deal that stat is and so if you go back to like talking about the jazz you know as i said 9.7 is crazy because the clippers are plus 6.2 the lakers are plus 5.1 and the bucks are plus 7.6 and even though the bucks tend to underachieve their net rating in the playoffs like that still means you've been really good in the regular season so i mean there's there's what how else do you put it the jazz have been fantastic this year, and and i remember
0: you mentioning to me that it's a it's a decent or at least it's a or I don't want to put words in your mouth here but it's a it's an accurate indicator of performance in the playoffs it tends to team. be
3: again there there are always there's always some nuance to it where there are certain types of teams that you might look at and say they're not likely to perform as well as this net rating in the playoffs and last year's bucks is a good example of that Um, and you know there's i think if you were to say i'm skeptical about the jazz this year that would be really fair like i'm like taking the the betting aspect of it aside you know i think i'd probably lean that way too like i think i will need to see the jazz show me before i believe it because rudy gobert has shown in the past that while he excels in the regular season which can contribute to net rating it's more it's easier than it seems to scheme him out in a playoff series as as elite as he is to put it diplomatically you know gobert has kind of earned some of his shit talk you know people people that i know make fun of his name they call him things like gogurt and stuff like that you know and (laughs) that is kind of deserved but if you want to look at the jazz and say they have even a chance of turning that around this year they're probably a good bet money-wise honestly
1: Hmm.
0: i mean yeah i mean there's so many reasons and so many ways to break that down i mean hell they're sitting at plus 450 just to win the conference and i think it's a pretty safe take if you're really looking at this in the grand scheme of things that whoever comes out of the west is probably going to win the whole thing i mean the western conference finals is probably going to be more competitive than the actual finals themselves, as it has been um, for a while now. Um, especially last year, I mean, looking at the conference finals uh, with the uh, with the Lakers um, playing the Nuggets, right? Um, I mean, hell, it felt like whoever won that was going to win it all, yeah. regardless. Because, yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe I mean you can make an argument, maybe a little bit differently, given that um, the Nuggets were there, and I don't think anybody really thought the Nuggets were going to be able to cap off what would have been what would have been probably the most magical fucking run of all time if they would have been able to actually pull all that off, you know, to come back and uh, you know take care of business against the, the Jazz. Um, come back down 3-1. And they would have the had Clippers, to come back from down 3-1
3: against
0: 3-1 against the Lakers. Right. So, I mean, that would have been pretty damn insane, no matter who they played coming out of the East. But um, it seems like, at least if we're honing
1: in
3: specifically on this year, it seems like whoever comes out of the it's West. Funny because as of right now, so. the Nuggets and Jazz would once again play in the first round back-to-back. Which that's going to be a really fun series. Like I the know. West, is, the West is such a minefield. You know, the Jazz could be this could could actually be the number one seed we think they are, and still lose in the first round because like the Nuggets are a good ass team, huh. and Jokic in particular is an incredible playoff level player. He's. Um, amazing.
0: How much do you know about the format going? Into- this year, I, 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 don't, I haven't heard anybody. It's going to be like, the
3: same as last year, except the 10 seed will oh, also be in on the play in. That's what I'm saying. So it's supposed to be like a
0: what? Like a Yeah, eight versus eight. Seven, yeah, from seven to I, ten. It'll
3: be eight versus nine and seven and ten. In like what?
0: That's, best of two or three? Best, best three?
3: of one for the higher seed and two to win for the lower seed. Is that. Oh okay Quite so it was like kind will of have last two year. chances to win one
0: Okay so it was kind of like uh kind of like last year with the uh Grizzlies and the um uh, uh, and the uh yeah exactly Blazers Right okay so you got to win okay so the higher seed just has to win one and the uh, okay, so it's like uh, so it's like best out of three, but the higher seed's are exactly. already up one oh to win one. I okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I guess because I was about to say there has to be some sort of incentive to be the higher seed. That doesn't make a lot of that would kind of suck if, if you're the but the that's even that's so scary though if you're in the West because a ten seed. The difference between the 10 seed and the 7 seed might be a fucking game in it. it might be like two games yeah. or one game. Yeah,
3: it's currently two and a half games in the West. Currently, yeah. but
0: hell, at one point, like, the difference between the 5 seed and the 12 seed was literally like two and a half
3: Yeah, games. so you know, that, everything you're saying is right. And I think it's particularly scary because in the NBA, it's not that hard to lose two straight games just for, like, no reason. Oh, we had a cold night this night, and then the other night, this other guy just got hot, and we couldn't guard him. No, that that's just that's just how it works, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's just not an NBA for you. Sometimes oh, okay. you might lose one game because you were cold, and the next game the ne- a guy who you didn't expect is hot, and that could be your fucking playoffs right there
0: god, it's just so crazy, like, if we're looking at it right now, I mean, hell, let me actually take a look at the standings, I know they've moved a lot. um, But as
3: far as the Jazz, you know, while you're doing that, let me know when you've pulled up the standings. I think another thing applies just like the Sixers, where you have to look at it in the context of they're probably gonna have the number one seed, and so that means they will not have to play the Clippers or the Lakers until the conference finals. And only one of them.
0: And it sucks for me as a Mass fan, because that means if I want them to actually make the playoffs, like genuinely make the playoffs, they're going to have to be the sixth seed. Which, I mean, is pretty kind of implied anyway, because I really don't want them to have to play the one of the two. So... They're going to have to be six, which means that they're going to end up playing probably... Oh God, that sucks. They're probably going to end up having to play the Clippers again.
3: Yeah, so if you... Uh, uh, there will likely be, because every year this happens, there will be some jockeying to tank for the eighth seed to get what's in theory the worst seed, but what a lot of teams will probably view as the easier matchup in the Jazz because they haven't proven it yet uh, this always exactly. happens every year. Like exactly. two years ago the Nuggets robbed the the Rockets of a two seed because of some weird tiebreakers where they intentionally lost the game because they didn't want to play like they didn't want to play the Rockets. And if the Nuggets had won that game, they would have like it was some something really confusing. If the Nuggets had won that game, both both they and the Rockets would have gone up a playoff seed and had to play each other. But they wanted the easier matchup so they tanked into a lower playoff seed, you get the easier yeah, matchup, I think I remember that. and it was some wild shit. Teams tend to do that, so there will be like people will be looking if these hold at the two and three seed and saying we'd rather be an eight seed than a six or seven seed. It happens every year. Teams always jockey for playoff matchups like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, especially when you yeah that last week or two of the season, people are starting to really get you know they're starting to. You know, think ahead a bit, you know, especially if you already got the uh, playoff spot pretty exactly. much in sight, wrapped up. Um, and like, let's think about it. Like, looking at it right now, if the playoffs were to start today, you'd have Golden State and Memphis and Denver and Dallas. Okay. That's pretty exciting. I think those are some pretty fun matchups. I think, in fact, you know, there's a lot of. I mean, mean, Dallas and Memphis are only separated by a half a game, you know, so they could totally switch. I think it would be really fun to see Dallas and Golden State going at it. I think that would be a really fun matchup. The games that they've played each other at so far, been pretty. I think they've split their season series to this point. But Dallas is more than capable of winning that series, I think. And Golden State, depending on how healthy they are, you know that would be man. That would just be so fun. In fact, all of these matches... I don't know. I get but really I get fun. bored
3: by Suns Spurs yeah. series. These current Spurs bore me. <laughs> Let's see see the on uh, I
0: think it'd be cool. I think it'd be really cool. You know, like for what the Suns did in the bubble last I, year. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah I uh, can. Like, and then personally, now, I wouldn't I watch know. that series. You know because oh I think because you told me right you think David no
3: underrated I she think me, Mitchell was overrated
0: underrated yeah. okay. a,
3: higher, a higher portion of Utah's oh, okay. success okay. goes to Rudy Gobert than to Mitchell a lot more than people think but you know Mitchell's flashier so he gets he gets the clout no I, I was saying Mitchell like Booker is what people think Mitchell is is what I'm saying like I think he's underrated I mean, gotcha gotcha
0: I mean, I don't know. I think it'd just be cool to see the Suns, period, in the playoffs. Like, they're—I think they're a team that you know they're super fucking young. So it'd be really, really cool to see what they what they can do and get their feet wet. It would also be Devin Booker's first time in the playoffs, you know. So that would be really, really cool for him to get his stripes. I don't want him to have to wait so damn long to have any playoff success, like uh, like Anthony Davis did. You know that really sucked. But when Anthony Davis did have a chance to finally get there with the Pelicans, he fucking showed up, didn't he? <laughs> I mean,
3: I don't know if you remember that.
0: Like back at- 2015, 2015 was actually his
3: first playoff series. Like he it. averaged like 35 against the Dynasty Warriors. Yeah.
0: Right. Wait, first round fishing?
3: sweep by Golden State. He showed out. It was his oh, team.
0: Oh, right, right. But then, but then, in then in seventeen, they actually won the first. Because Damien Miller doesn't know and how then, to handle a
3: trapping defense.
0: Still down with this day. right? And then, and then they uh, got their asses handed to in the second round of the Warriors. But, but um, yeah, man, jeez, yeah, but but for the most part, I mean, these matchups are pretty damn cool. You know, it'd be you know potentially. Assuming that all the teams that are not in the top eight don't make it, like Dallas and Memphis, right? you'd have Utah, Denver. That's going to be bad. That would be badass. Let them run that back. Um, Clippers. Clippers and, and the Warriors. Man, that sounds fun. Um, run it back with the Lakers Blazers. That would be really cool. And then, uh, like in your opinion...
3: Black <laughs> Luster Sun Spurs. I'm sorry, I just don't think DeMar DeRozan is playoff material. Or, in. DeMar DeRozan
0: is. I mean, I,
3: I hate him nice as a guy. Sure, this, year, this year, he's been actually ass. really good. Like, all star level. But, like, historically, DeMar DeRozan has never given me a reason to like be the player. Mm-hmm.
0: Not at all. Yeah, he, he he was he was the main reason. I mean, hold. he's a player that he, his entire he was the main
3: reason. The he was, was the main reason those trash brothers Raptors teams, as they became called, failed in the playoffs every single time. Lowry pulled his weight. Ugh. Lowry is like a one of the. Yeah, I'm
0: actually really. I'm actually one of the biggest. Wow, I don't know why he Honestly, he really I, is
3: the. I hate, of hate doing all the little he's things. Like... Chode. He's so underrated as a player. If this,
0: he's fucking. And he's, and a and pudgy he's amazing play. at it.
3: Harden is. Harden is pudgy. He's a shooting guard. Ah, Does he know. suck for his position? No, he's probably the the fourth best one who ever lived.
0: Oh god, Kyle Lowry. What Kyle Lowry
3: is this meant. This man takes know. charges like no yeah, other point guard. How is that awesome. soft? Go offensive rebound like no Dude, other point just so... tough, There's...
0: I just never... I, I just don't... I just can't wrap my head around the idea of NBA players going up against Kyle Lowry and going, oh my God, this guy is going to light us up today. This guy is going to really... He's not like, going like, to light you up with his shot making,
3: but he's yeah. going to strip the ball from you and make you look silly.
0: Like yeah, he's a he's pesky. He's pesky. Like you know, kind you of Pat Bev esque. He's Pat Bev esque, but I mean, like maybe it's just maybe it's just because his style of play is like the opposite of sexy, and
3: like he's never. I, love watching.
0: I mean. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, would you even consider him the yes. best player on a team he was He's been point? the
3: Raptors' best player every year that Kawhi wasn't there and that they were competitive.
0: It's just, I, I guess it kind of gets like thrown in the limelight just because he, you know, every every time I mean, he yeah, had, they'd make the playoffs every year and basically be a stepping stone. And that, that was DeMar DeRozan's DeRozan fault. DeMar
3: DeRozan became defrozen every time they played each other. Kyle Lowry uh-huh. held up his end of the bargain every year except in 2015 when they lost to Washington. That was an embarrassing sweep with home court advantage. That did happen, grant you. But outside of that year, Kyle Lowry has never been that type of choker that people thought he was before he won with Kawhi. Never. That was mostly DeMar DeRozan. Right? That's that's where I put all the blame.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are only so many elbow jumpers that you can shoot, right? I mean, this is just not going to work. Like his style of play in general is just one that
3: doesn't get Especially it Especially since he's not NBA, that efficient at so. it. And never. He, before San Antonio, he wasn't really a good passer either. He, 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 he elevated that with the Spurs, but before then, not really. His defense, same thing, was never really there. He was a really empty calories player, to be honest, before he got to San Antonio. Surely. Um but again
0: looking at looking up the west from top to bottom, right? So let's so are we are we saying that there's some I, value there in Utah? Maybe not I mean early. plus I mean plus four plus four fifty with the best with the best record in the league, they have seven. They only have seven losses. They have a three and a half game advantage on the next best team, the Clippers, and they're sitting at plus 450. Now, granted, Vegas does take into account historical performance to an extent here, and I guess they have the same questions. I understand being skeptical of the Jazz. I really do. I think them.
3: I am too but even all that being said there's good value in a team that you know for a fact will only have to play one of the other favorites or rather one of the main favorites and not until the conference finals and with home court you know that that's 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 good value the other two are going to be beating up on each other in terms of top three seeds.
0: For sure. I mean I, I think that's a really, really awesome take. I really I didn't even know the odds were that drastic. I thought if I thought I mean I figured I mean I, I figured that the Jazz would be like a third best favorite, even though they are the number one seed just because you know they're taking into account injury history, they take into account playoff history on a lot of these teams. So I mean that was fairly expected, but to think 450, that's insane. If if anything, if anything, we should be looking at what the odds are on the Jazz to if they come out of the West win probably, all.
3: They would probably be the favorite in the finals. I think any if they're
0: if they're coming out of the West and they play the Nets, I think the Nets the Nets will be
3: the Nets will be I think favorite the favorite if- I, th- I don't think the Nets beat anyone out of the West I think people wow. really really overrate the Nets I don't wow. understand like people don't seem to realize just how awful that defense is like it's not going to hurt them in the regular season when teams don't scheme for it but in a playoff setting where people are trying to take advantage of the matchup like I said if you have like they're not going to be able to they're not going to be able to stop someone who's actively targeting their defensive feet.
0: right Dom i don't know Mitchell about that because again
3: 49. i'm not i'm not high on Mitchell. He's kind of a <laughs> to me. um he's never he's never historically never shown that he actually elevates his team's offense and again that might sound like a crazy take to some people but the you just like actually look at that at the evidence that's out there like people have tracked this uh the Jazz historically haven't gotten much better offensively when he's on or off the floor. They they go as Rudy Gobert goes on defense. That's really the linchpin of their team. But that being said, I think the Jazz are a really good team from top to bottom. It's not just about Mitchell being like Mitchell's still a decent it's a good player, and they have a bunch of other ones too. Like they're they're a good team on both ends. So I I don't like the Nets how just how bad are they defensively? Let's look up the. Let me look up defensive net ratings for a second. Ratings. And- okay.
0: And by the way, as you're doing that, let me tell, let me share with y'all. The Jazz, as it sits right now, are the fifth be- with the best record in basketball. Are sitting at the fifth best odds to win the championship they have they're sitting at plus 850 to win it all nine times your money
3: the nets are 27th in defense and again as i told you a couple of days ago the only team in like the past since they've started drafting it like 40 years team to not win a title but rather team to win a title without being in the top 10 in defense was the 2001 lakers no one else has ever done it on record And the nets are 27. that and and just look at their roster too like i really don't understand what people think is so good about the nets roster they have a great offense but a it's not even all-time great like i don't even think it's top two in the league this year it's not like you've created the warriors from seasons past and if you wanted to go into why that is you know I'm not just a stats nerd. I can talk all about X's and O's and coaching, and eye test and the tape and stuff. So I can totally do that. And from from that perspective, it's the fa- it's diminishing returns. Like they're, they're, the, their the elite offensive players are all best with the ball in their hands. And that's not to say it's not to say the stupid ESPN talking point of oh, there's only one ball. They won't be good on them. All- they will be, but there is a such thing as diminishing returns. Meaning, you will be good, but will you be able to be all time good? Will you be more than the sum of your parts? And with the, pets, the answer is no, because one of them is always going to have to take a step back from what they're best at. They're going to.
0: Should I wouldn't even say necessarily all time good as much as is is it? A yeah. So they the if, if they're,
3: they're not even leading up. the league in offense. Like if they're not even that level of good, even if they're in the top five, how do you, how are they gonna overcome the fact that your best defensive player, Bruce Brown. That's their best defensive player. Their starting lineup is Kyrie Irving, oh James Harden, Joe Harris at small forward, Kevin Durant at the four, and Jeff Green at center. That's literally the most meme Mike D'Antoni defense I've ever seen. And ironically, The team is being coached by Mike D'Antoni. Steve Nash is the guy officially, but like, I'm pretty sure he, like, it's literally just like the club of the X, seven seconds or less Suns. The fact that Mike D'Antoni is the head assistant and they're running Jeff Green at center again and trading away all their centers again, just like Mike D'Antoni did when he was the head coach for Houston last year, that doesn't strike me as a coincidence. You know what I'm saying? The fact that James Harden forced his way to Brooklyn and admitted it was in large part because of Mike D'Antoni doesn't strike me as a coincidence. So what you have is either a rookie head coach or he's a figurehead for Mike D'Antoni. It's one of the two. And one of the two is leading a team that has the most godfielde defensive roster I have ever seen in my life. Like legitimately. I don't see how this team wins a title. I don't see how they defend Giannis or Embiid or Anthony Davis or someone like that. I mean, there's a world. There's a world where it happens. Nothing is certain, right? If they get crazy hot in the playoffs, their offense will be otherworldly. But that defense just, I, it's not, why, why should I be confident in them with a defense that's that awful?
0: I wish there was a way to bet there probably is out there somewhere where I could bet specifically on the Nets not to go to the finals. Not even necessarily picking on a team to go, but I would 100% put like
3: a huge amount of money on that bet. Be really overrated. Because if
0: they're because if right now because if they're sitting at plus one hundred and fifty, if they're sitting at plus one hundred and fifty right now to go to the finals, then I'm sure their odds on to not go to the finals is probably only at like minus two twenty or something like that,
3: which is still
0: a, an expensive. The take, Nets look like a good team,
3: like a team right now as line. a two seed, as a real contender, because they're playing a fucking Eastern Conference schedule. They get to beat up on the Orlando Magics of the world, which is mostly what they've been doing on their win streak. Like... like
0: Jesus Christ. I wonder... Hold on. Hold on. I mean, the East is going to have the same... I mean, of course, it's the same.
3: Um, play yeah, and form. The Nets would the, be the, end, the right. fifth seed in the West by both record and net rating. They wouldn't even have home court.
0: Let me look at... The play-in tournament in the East right now would look absolutely ridiculous. It would be, um, geez, the ways It would be Miami and Charlotte
3: and To Chicago. be fair, ESPN will hype the shit out of Miami-Charlotte because it will be Jimmy Butler and they're, they're going to say it's Jimmy Butler versus Lamelo Ball. <laughs> My Lord.
0: Yeah. They would absolutely hype that way the hell up.
3: It is what it is. The, but yeah, so game. you know, I think in, back to the back to the West though, like I would pick the Jazz over the Nets. They're a top five team in both offensive and defensive rating. And even if I don't I don't think the Jazz are what they look like right now in terms of how good they are. But I think just the regular Jazz as I understand them to be are still better than the Nets. Like, the Jazz are, like, the regular Jazz that we get every year are still a good enough defensive team that, like, I think, well, they're a good enough defensive team and they have good enough fundamentals on offense. Like, okay, maybe I wouldn't hugely favor them, but, like, if you put a gun to my head, I would probably still pick the Jazz over the Nets. That's just where I'm at. <laughs> maybe that says more about brooklyn than it says for about sure Utah. for sure other like other like sneaky good bets Absolutely. in the West, I like
0: yeah
3: so. i don't know if this qualifies as a dark horse contender but the phoenix suns have definitely have a record and a net rating that is probably better than their betting line like plus 5.5 is really good that's like top five in the league better than the lakers better than the nets uh, they're only one game behind the Lakers in the standings. Zero losses. It's just the fact that they've played two rest games. You know, that's, like, that's that looks like a good team.
0: I think so too, man. That's, no, that's such a good point. You know, so taking out of the West, I mean, Utah, hella value. Are there any other, anybody else that we'd want to, That we might let's uh, sprinkle a couple of bucks on um, before we uh, wrap up. um, Probably the Warriors and the Nuggets.
3: The the Nuggets are a really good team. They started off the year slow, but um, Jokic is still, it's really not Murray. Murray is actually, like, if you're ever doing a player prop, I would always bet the under on Murray. He's not what people think he is based off of that fluke seven game sample last year. I know he had a 50-point game this year, but like other than his highlight games, he's not like, like he basically, let me just say this, you can't judge a player by his peak performances. You have to ask, are you, are you consistent? Is that who what you, who you really are? And with Jamal Murray, it's it's almost always not. He's, he's an underachiever most games, but that said, Jokic is a monster. He's been an MVP level player for years now when the year started off he was our mvp favorite like he was literally the favorite for the mvp over the first few weeks of the season because his numbers were that insane and he sons go bear every time they play go bear can't guard him one-on-one and guess who the nuggets would play in the first round it would be the jazz who they beat last year um so that's like the nuggets are a good team and the west is still the west yep. so, again as i said even if the jazz are as good as their record suggests They could still lose to the Nuggets and then uh the Nuggets would play probably the winner of Suns and Spurs after that and who would probably be the Suns Aiton is a horrible defensive big man that would be a freebie for Jokic again so you know that 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 that's good money their net rating is plus four which is still good then you have the Warriors right above them who I'm interested in purely because the Clippers there's always that clippers factor like I really there's always that 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 small bit of doubt when it comes to the Clippers because they they consistently show it and there's things about them that I don't trust come playoff time like they their secondary their 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 playmaking outside of isos with their wing players has always been kind of suspect right uh they don't really have elite big man play even with Ibaka there Lou Williams has always been an empty calories scrub during playoff time. He actively hurts your chances of winning a playoff game every minute he's on the floor. Book it. That's a fucking fact. The only two play... He's only had two good playoff games. is life. Strangely enough, against the Warriors of all teams. But he is garbage. Lou Williams fucking sucks. Um, oh. Uh, Who else? Yeah, R- dogs Reggie. Reggie Jackson fucking sucks. But, um, the, Clippers, the Clippers. have some sus aspects about well, them. Hey. And to me, when you put them against their traditional rival, if they have one, in the Warriors, Steph Curry at the mm. peak of his powers, doing everything he can to get his team to win. Draymond is still there. Like Steph Curry has always had the Clippers' number, and. Yep so 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 taking it so again taking it up
0: so we can uh, wrap up here um jazz forefront of our takes here for terms of traditional value and again we're going with yeah for like the dark the warriors dark. just in terms of like, wrinkle maybe, dark maybe not to with. win the
3: title in, or the conference right. just right maybe, but just the in the warriors case maybe not even the west to be honest like but if you're betting on the outcome of a series I think the warriors could win all
0: right guys we'll keep an eye on it keep an eye on it as we get closer and move on and uh we will keep you updated on this this is going to be a rolling conversation for us moving forward um so stay tuned with the hammer time team as we get deeper and deeper into the stuff as we approach all-star break especially after when the race starts to get more and more booking uh, to the nitty gritty of what the hell is going to happen. Because these odds will move. It is like the market. It's a living market. Stick with us guys. Um, we'll be posting another show here in the next week or so. Um, of course, tell be a friend. Tell a friend. Available on all platforms. Um, you can follow me, Chris Rios. Instagram, Twitter at Rio Stunton. Let me know if you have any questions at all. If you want us to talk about something. Um, Other than that, guys, that's the show. I appreciate y'all sticking with us, and uh, we will talk to y'all soon.